legacy. There are a couple definitions of the word legacy. If you use it as a noun, a legacy, a legacy means an amount of money or property that is left to somebody in a will. That's the noun legacy. Adjective, using the same word, means a long-lasting impact of particular events or actions that took place in the past or of a person's life. That's the kind of legacy we're going to talk about today. The origin of the word legacy comes from the medieval Latin, which means a person delegated or leadership. But what does it mean to make a legacy? How do you make a legacy? A legacy cements your life's work as something that benefits future generations, though you may not ever see it come to fruition. It's the drive that creates something greater than yourself, something that forever improves the world. Author Boyd Bailey had a quote that says, it's not necessarily the length of our life that determines our legacy. It's more the length of the shadow of our influence that defines the legacy we leave behind. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Read that again. It's not necessarily the length of our life that determines our legacy. It's more the length of the shadow of our influence that defines what legacy we leave behind. As it happens, I have been told that way down in my family tree was an individual that was part legend, part myth. This individual was first brought to my attention when I was a teenager by my, my Uncle Chip, my dad's brother. Now you have to understand my Uncle Chip, my Uncle Champ, my Uncle Champ, Uncle Chip was a successful used car salesman a motivational speaker, and an ordained pastor. My grandmother referred to my Uncle Chip as somebody that could sell a used turd to a dog. <laughs> so anything my Uncle Chip told me, I kind of took with a grain of salt. Until during my teenage years, I discovered that this man they're talking about really did exist. Here's a caricature. Some of you might know who that is. Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed was born John Chapman in 1774 in Massachusetts. The, his father was a Minuteman under George Washington. When his family moved west to Ohio, John apprenticed under an orchard, orchardist named Mr. Crawford, and his destiny was firmly pressed. As a young man, he began wandering around, spreading the gospel of his Swedenborgian faith 
that's probably pronounced wrong, and the goodness of apples. Part of his faith incorporated the idea that suffering on earth diminished suffering and increased joy in the hereafter. In other words, you had to suffer on earth. The more you suffered on earth, the less you suffered in the hereafter, and the more joy you had in the hereafter. Now, I never said my relatives are sane, okay? <laughs> so John Chapman, a.k.a. Johnny Appleseed, embraced poverty and homelessness most of his life. He preached around the region, but also worked planting apple trees and nurseries for farmers and orchards. He spread seeds and sermons and became a legend during his own life. According to an 1871 article in Harper's New Monthly Magazine, he told children's stories and preached in a lyrical voice. And one of his followers recounted that we could hear him read now, just as he did the summer day when we were busy quilting upstairs. His voice rising, denunciatory and thrilling, strong and loud as the roar of the wind and the waves, then soft and soothing as the balmy airs that quivered the morning glory leaves about his gray beard. He was a strange eloquence at times and was undoubtedly a man of genius. In his travels and planning, he, committed, or he communed with many Native Americans. He admired them, and some were even converted by his preaching. They regarded him as somebody who had been touched by the Great Spirit. And even the unfriendly Indians left him alone. Chapman also loved animals and was known to nurse wounded creatures and save others from abuse. He was often depicted in paintings and illustrations as wearing a cooking pot on which birds or chipmunks would be perched. In a collection of stories about the apple aficionado, Eric Braun wrote that he had a pet wolf that, he had started, that had started following him after he had healed an injured leg and nursed it back to health. Another story related that he had saved an abused horse that was going to be killed. He bought the horse, nursed it back to health, and then gave it to a needy person with the promise that horse be treated kindly. Now here's what, here's what starts to prove that he's a little off center here. Later in life, he became a vegetarian. because of his concern for animals. He never married and was hopeful he would find his soulmate in heaven if he did not find her on earth. Johnny Appleseed's legend grew across the young land. Teachers taught about him in school. Books were written about him, songs composed. He was celebrated in a traveling song and religious hymns that came to be sung before meals in American homes. But as many legends go, there's a little bit more to the story. See, Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Appleseed best liked apples to make cider. During that time, cider was hard cider. It had alcohol in it. 
In his best-selling book, The Botany of Desire, Michael Pollan wrote, really what Johnny Appleseed was doing, and the reason he was welcomed, welcomed in every cabin in Ohio and Indiana is he was bringing the gift of alcohol to the frontier. He was our American Dionysus. Or author Lori Dove wrote about him in How Stuff Works, Johnny Appleseed originated the concept of BYOB. Although Johnny Appleseed did live a life of poverty, he was hardly poor. In fact, he bought thousands of acres of land in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, and also planted orchards across the frontier as a way of settling the land and establishing ownership. Later, these orchards were sold to settlers. When Chapman died, he owned more than 1,200 acres of orchards across several states that he left to his sister. But it cannot be denied that he was a generous and a gentle soul. And he preached the gospel and the goodness of apples, not just for eating, but for cider. And since cider was the most common beverage of the pioneers, this was not an insignificant gift. Johnny Appleseed planted orchards in more to 50, for more than 50 years in many states. No one knows how many trees he may have planted. But if he averaged five seeds a day, he certainly planted over a million trees during his lifetime. He died in 1845. One of his trees still survives on a farm in Nova, Ohio, where Johnny Appleseed is believed to have planted an entire orchard of Rambo apples. The tree still produces fruit, and its seeds and its cuttings have been used to propagate hundreds of new Johnny Appleseed trees throughout the years, making it one of the nation's most valuable and prolific heritage plants. In fact, the Johnny Appleseed Education Center and Museum in Urbana, Ohio, transplanted seedlings from the lone survivor in order of Appleseed's contribution to agriculture. Johnny Appleseed preached the goodness of apples and the goodness of people. He may be the reason why apples are America's favorite fruit. An antidote, an antidote for keeping the doctor away, the teacher's gift on the first day of school. He was as American as mom's apple pie. Legacies. They say he walked barefoot, never had a pair of shoes, never lived in the house, slept outside all the time. Wore burlap sacks, his shirts, pants. Preached the gospel, planted trees. That's a legacy. But what is God's legacy? Psalm 145, 4 through 7 says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. 
They shall spark, they shall, excuse me, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Bible, both Old and New Testament, is filled with legacies. I would probably say that if you weren't, if you were in the Bible, you had a legacy of some sort. Abel, a man of faith who pleased God in his daily life, a role model. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, to which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he had died, he still, he still speaks. Abraham, called the father of faith in spite of his human failings, always trusted God, trusted God regardless of the circumstances. Romans 4.16 said, This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. Legacies. They're all over. What about David? Went from a shepherd to a conqueror to a poet, author, musician, king. What about Elijah? James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. But Josiah, Nehemiah, Esther. Esther risked everything even her life, and as a result, she saved a nation. But what greater leg legacy could there be built than the legacy of Jesus? Legacies, Jesus' legacy for his disciples it's spelled out well in, in John 16, verses 25 through 33, and 17, 1 through 9. So I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. And because you have loved me and believed that I came from God, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, 
Now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In chapter 17, is when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you, that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they, for they are yours. So what's the legacy again? Long-lasting impact of particular events or actions that took place in the past or in a person's life. Things that have taken place in the past or things that have taken place in a person's life. Around 10 years ago, We relocated from Sedalia to Jefferson City. Our friend Steve Graff from Sedalia had suggested we look up an old friend he had from the 70s, Gary Barrons. We had already tried attending one of the bigger churches in town, although a few people spoke to us and they were kind. We just felt out of place. When we entered this place, 
first one. To greet us. Scared. Yeah, I said I wouldn't do this. What I couldn't understand about this man is how in the world somebody his age didn't have gray hair. <laughs> it's not fair. I told everybody, I swear, no, he's dying his hair. He's lying to you. <laughs> it's got to be. Nobody has that much hair and it's not great his age. We told him that Steve Graff had suggested we come by and visit. And what does he do? He immediately calls Steve and wants to know what's the deal <laughs> with these oddballs you've sent to my church. After that first day, Terry and I walking out to her car, we both knew we were home. It was an imperfect church filled with imperfect people. We fit in perfect. So if you think you're going to the perfect church, don't go there because you're going to mess it up. I found that God does some pretty awesome stuff, awesome stuff with imperfect people. Like Abraham, Moses, Aaron, David, Elijah, Josiah, Nehemiah, Esther, Peter, and all the disciples. We're not perfect. Paul persecuted him before he met Jesus face to face. And if anybody passed on legacies, Paul passed on legacies. He taught so many. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 3, Paul is instructing Timothy that you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Gary and Chris, along with Terry and Sarah, and many others, were and still are building a Christ-filled legacy here in this structure. And I say structure because the church is the people, not this pile of brick and mortar. We are the soldiers that, just as Paul instructed Timothy, 
to be strengthened by grace that is Christ Jesus and to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This has been a difficult couple of months. But so many people have come together to pray, to help out, to fill in wherever it needed to be filled in. That's evidence. of a legacy. I have heard that a question was asked. What do we do now? Good question. I will offer the words of Gary. From his book. I never read it. <laughs> Until yesterday. The very last This is the long <clears throat> The very last entry in his book vineyards in the valley. Tells us what to do. It's all we have to do. Is preserve and trust God. And he will take us through every trial, every tribulation, victoriously. He will exit the pain, the times of sorrow, and the times that seem so dark into a life, great life. We will grow in wisdom, in spirituality, and in our relationship with God, and in our value, our legacy, in the kingdom of God. And in the end, 
he will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. That is the legacy of Christian fellowship. Aren't you glad you came? God speak to your heart. He did mine. Never knew we had a descendant of that Johnny Appleseed in our midst. How amazing is that? Um, as we go forward, guys, we're going to kind of continue on here. And so... Uh, Frank didn't give an altar call, but that's okay. Um, I've had someone speak to me. Somebody needs prayer here today. And, and so we're going to start there, and we'll just see where it goes from there. But Dan, would you, would you come up?